Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiki. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You'll also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. Today, we are going to talk to Arun Swami, coach extraordinaire from Instant Leadership. He draws out several learnings that he's got through his journey in US and in India. Clearly brings out the dilemmas of working in large organization that is going through change and how he has navigated through it. Gives several nuggets in how he coaches to become high-performing individuals. Hi, Arun. Welcome to the Software People Stories. Happy to have you here. Hi, Gayatri. Thanks for having me here. I'm glad to be here. I want to start from where you started, from your software journey. Where were the roots in which your passion started in software? It wasn't necessarily a passion when I started off. I would say I did my electronics engineering here in Bangalore, UVC, and then the whole idea was, what do I do? But a lot of people were doing masters and I always wanted to be. I decided I too will pursue my masters. Thought I wasn't ready, I'll wait for a year. So what do I do in that year? I got into the Indian Institute of Science as a research assistant. I'd heard about assistantships in the US and I thought, okay, being part of a premier institute like that will enhance my chances of getting an assistantship. So with that, I spent one year in the artificial intelligence lab when it was all new and not yet hot. Okay, back in 1988, 1989? 89, yeah, yeah, 1989. That was my foray into software. However, my first industry job happened in rather, I would say, trying circumstances because in the US, I was ready to graduate and I think even now they have that whole thing where you have what is called as practical completion before you get on to a work visa if you're already in the... It was the 1990 recession when I was ready to graduate in 91. I didn't know what it meant or how to react because I hadn't heard the term recession. Very soon you realize it is going to be very hard to get a job. Thankfully on the university, there was this contractual software unit and one of the managers there was taking a class with me, a local person, and he said, why don't you come and work for me? So that gave me an extended lease of life. Cut a long story short, it wasn't the career I envisioned where Unix and C was the hot environment at that time. I ended up doing RPG and COBOL just to make a living and stay alive in the US. A year later, I actually landed the kind of job I always wanted. It was a small startup and I was soon working on a state-of-the-art automated air load planning system and the client was the US Army. I would say, so these are the multiple starts to the software. I count them as three starts. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful start of our conversation as well, starting in artificial intelligence to US Army. Now I hear that US Army doesn't let anybody who's not a citizen to work for them. That was not the case earlier, is it? Okay. Well, it was the case, except this was a what they call as tactical systems where there is no barrier. I'm not sure if the same thing remains. Now. 
definitely working for tactical systems did not require any kind of uh, what they call a security clearance or US citizenship. Oh, what did you deliver for that team? To answer that question, I'll just also add one more thing. This automated airload planning system was AI type of planning system at that point of time. Even though it was done in a procedural language, they looked at my background in IASC, they looked at my UNIXC background in my masters and they said okay we got the perfect guide for what i developed then was actually first was the database or a rudimentary knowledge base you can say the army had centralized equipment system could have been in any database they always had a common flat file format at that time now the great thing about that was you got to understand what were all the there were tanks there were disassembled helicopters, everything that army needed. And there were new terminology like pallets and so on. And I didn't know what they meant. I soon learned that. So I, I actually built a little flat file database management system. I was probably one of the first ones to finish off my modules. And to keep me busy, they gave me the report writing and they gave me a small portion of the planning system. Wow, that sounds awesome. Creating your own database. Now we have so many micro specializations. I think now creating that when you start off, it sounds extremely wonderful. Right. The icing on the cake, guys, was we worked from requirements to user acceptance testing for our modules all by ourselves and directly in contact with the functional analysts of the army who are really our clients to elicit how it worked then. I would say we did agile programming before somebody called it agile. I was just about to say that quite a few people I know of have been working in the agile space. Just that as a terminology, it came about in 2001 and that ensured that all the others were disrupted. I think it's on the shoulders of those successes that has happened in the 90s that agile really took off. It's not that 2001 people just came up and did it. It's because True. of those experiences. True. Looking back, probably it was evolving parallel with waterfall, which seemed more like a well-entrenched formal development system at that time. Yeah, except we didn't realize it. I agree. Oh, now we can connect the dots. You've been in India for now uh, two decades. Arun, what brought you back to India? I've been here for 94. And that again was interesting because I stopped my green card process midway and just got back here because I think it was more personal 180 degree turn um, because my parents really wanted me back. They were extremely attached. So I think there was some kind of little bit of a turbulence inside me. I wanted to be in the US. And my dad would always keep filling me with stories of the IT industry that was still taking off here because I think HP came uh, Hewlett Packard opened their Cunningham Road offices uh, in 1989. And one after the other, the big names started coming. He would keep feeding me stories. Then I realized what I really wanted was a stable place from a longer term perspective. And I had enough of trying to fend for myself because I don't know how this sounds. I suddenly realized if I have to focus on my career, maybe India was a better place and why not? give that a chance and I could actually big brand name multinational because at the end of the day there was one other factor I was doing great work you see I was not part of a software software development company 
every year a congressman had to sign on renewing the budget they eventually did it but you didn't know when it would run out and that became a scary situation two years down the road i suddenly realized wow this isn't like the stable job my dad had the uncertainty part of it really drives a lot of decision making to the ore right you you want an anchor you want a point every point in our life we don't exist in our professional sphere alone our personal sphere and the societal sphere all of that has to coexist i worked with hp for quite a while how was your experience in such a large enterprise oh, it was i would say simply awesome because my whole idea of work career etc or what is called as company culture especially the was very different i mean the concept of company culture formally and its impact on people i still wasn't aware until i joined hp then you know it was like wow this is how life has got to be and you get spoiled and here too you got more i'll wait if you got more questions but the agile story continues you were agile program manager in hp and what are your couple of key learnings if you will if you want to reflect on your any major challenges that you want to talk about yeah i would say the key learning for me was the number one thing there was for company has certain values and they live by that results it produces is a side effect of living those values saying it is one thing but living it is a totally different thing and i have experienced that the other thing obviously was the whole approach to innovation design and the, the engineering approach at hp was so focused and also so adaptable that, that is another challenges so i would say for me uh, when you say challenges you mean it can be anything it could even be personal talking about more of business challenges personal challenges uh, and and how the whole conflict happens with the professional side all right okay well i think you know for me what i realized is looking back hp was at the crossroads at that point of time the compact merger was like a few years away four years away when i joined and i think the center that i was part of was itself formed with multiple groups within hp in the larger organization worldwide pushing a little bit of they wanted to do here to india so it was about more about sourcing internally to an offshore development center than a compelling company strategy so in in that context the various changes that happened was very disconcerting because after a while the whatever i told you about the learnings you know the culture is great the engineering approach is great however it's really your where you are in the business of the company does affect everything because hey that's what contributes to the bottom line of even that center and that's what pays you your salary so i think that became a challenge with the multiple changes that dealing with that and the corresponding reorganization as well as your future became a personal challenge so how did you navigate with this is it that uh, is it a matter of uh, working through it or is that uh, merger happened were you able to say okay uh, this is my area of expertise i want to continue to focus here and stay here or went ahead and spoke to different leadership to make the change or how did you navigate through that because it's a very common scenario right when organization goes through growing pains if you will not very comforting exactly well i would say well that was one aspect but other changes had happened before that also uh, in terms of the center's own reorganization and as i said it had come more from people 
opportunistically getting work from the US. So we span literally three areas, internal IT, external consulting work, the HP consulting, great solution work, and obviously the product engineering in the systems area and very few in the other spaces. The organization here was more like a functional division. It could be getting work from anywhere. Even then, so I would, so the merger just added another complexity to many internal changes we would undergo. And the Indian IT industry was speaking with the local big three in a more focused way, taking internal IT work or partnering for external solutions worldwide and so on. So obviously we were probably not very competitive, especially in our cost structure and so on. The approach I took in this context was I stuck to my area and I picked a fairly nascent area, web portals, when it was hot thing in 99, you know, so I've lived through the dot com. So I stuck to my area and grew it and I grew with it. That was my approach. However, it was not easy because people challenges, right? Everybody, a change always brings in so many questions and you would have thought that, oh, okay, I'm technically good at this or okay, I've learned this bit of leadership. I do this, 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 everything is going to be okay. Well, everything is not going to be okay. And you learn as you go along. I guess sometimes those challenges does cause some amount of upheaval inside because you're human and it, I guess it's, it all boils down to looking back on what expectations you set for yourself. Very, very well put Arun. What you said is one is from a specialization. Understand where you are specializing and continue to focus on that. Second is observing those conflicts, whether we are resolving it or not, first observing and being very at peace with it. That is the more important aspect of it, what changes are happening. When you're talking about big three, right? One thing that is running in my mind is, now, while the big three were just expanding, you've been continuously in the product arena, right? You always worked in Dell and um, HP is, a, of course, a classic product company. Is that really your uh, how you started off or is it more of accidental product leadership that you took up? Right. That, that's an interesting question because the short answer is, I don't know how exactly it happened. I do know that I love product engineering most of the time. No, I, I started off with actually building a complex solution. And even through HP, the complex solution was there. However, I did do a couple of internet products that didn't take off in HP when I first started. And even while being part of solutions, there were one or two products we were developing out of here in concert with the product team that had the budget, for example. But my unit had, because it was a functional area, we were doing other end customer projects also with somebody else. And interestingly, when I was with Dell services, it was actually Pero Systems before Dell acquired it. That was pure application services. However, there was one product and it came under me. I was measured like you would measure a person on services, given that I was in a significantly senior management position. And there was still the only product the company owned was still under me. If you think about it now, uh, there is a very less difference between whether you are giving a service or whether you are actually part of a product because every service has a big product in the background now. There was a very distinct difference back in 2000s, right? Uh, in terms of very interesting to see that, you know, you started as a product and, and it evolved through the product journey. Right. And I guess today it's more platform. That's what they call it. Yes. Um, platform and it's a combination of services. Some services provided to the direct end user or to the 
uh, as a B2B. So uh, uh, can you relate some stories when, uh, when it comes to product development? What have been your challenges? So the, the first one, I would just to complete that whole agile thing, I would yeah. say that HP, for example, we were building a product which was an object, first it was an object relation database engine where you gave a C++ or a Java interface to traditional RDBMS. And great engineering company HP was, they tested it on the four major RDBMSs of that time, I still remember. Sybase, Informix, Oracle. And this, again, was a challenge there was when I got in, it was with one, what they call as lighthouse customer, but a large one, telecom company. And they were paying the big bucks due to lack of marketing interest and it not being big enough. When I say big, what I heard from the sales force was, look, all the sales guys here are incented selling big HP boxes and they're talking about two $20 million deals or uh, somebody made $1 million. And I actually went, when I went to the client side, Canada, I was speaking to HP sales guys there because I was hosted out of an HP sales office. So I suddenly realized this is a small speck in their ocean. It's a great product and somebody else, which is a pure software company, would just run with it. And you even had a, paying, a large paying customer who was guzzling licenses. How hard is it to take it to others, right? Well, they had no interest. So I can safely say that I've had the experience of sunsetting a product and working with the sales and business guys in ensuring from a business angle, how do you sunset? And I, this was in a very early stage of my career and I count myself very lucky because I got a lot, a lot of accolades for coming up with what is probably a moderate technical solution that satisfied the business interests and removed legal culpability from HP for backing out of the team. Sunsetting is the hardest thing, right? Not necessarily from a software perspective, from a legal, from ensuring that your terms and conditions are satisfied and the communication part of it. Very strong communication to ensure that you are doing for the common good. Right. So the other challenge I would say is more like I would, so this remains. So that whole thing about not being able to send, sell the software also affected us in another way because I was lucky while I was doing this to get to work on an application integration product, which was way ahead of what was BA's tuxedo at that point. From conception with the team in Cupertino, that again, after two years, was sunset. This is where I got introduced to the early days of Agile. HP had a life cycle called as EVO, EVO. So that, that's how from my first job in the US, where we didn't know it was Agile, I was actually doing Agile here in a more formal way, except it was called EVO, multiple iterators and four week cycles. Wow, that's your starting off Agile, is it? That is definitely the formal starting off Agile. Absolutely. You are currently a leadership coach, right? How do you reflect your change in the career as a software developer to a manager to a product leader to being a coach helping leaders as well as teams how do you contrast that role to what you do today are you asking me what is the link between what i did in the past as a leader yeah. and what i do today yeah. okay uh, first of all i think the coaching journey also began at hp because they had this program called as optimal performance coaching where they got pretty much the entire leadership team ramped up on coaching principles. Much later after I left HP and when I was with Pero Systems, I was like, okay, what do I do after I retire or when I'm ready to retire? So suddenly I heard this thing called executive coaching and I decided to find more about it. Got into coaching certification. So while I was entrenched in the technology industry, I began my professional coaching 
certification. Today, if I see, I'm involved most, mostly with corporates and I also consult with another company as a learning facilitator. And that again is leadership programs for corporate. I would say I understand that environment very well. I'm able to easily relate to the challenge or pain of the leader in question, whether it's a corporate learning program or whether it's a one-on-one -on -one coaching session. But more importantly, I think the I have the larger coaching background, which is not necessarily restricted to the corporate life. So I can bring in more tools. More tools are at my disposal to be able to help leaders in the corporate. Can you share an example one of your coaches' journey? That, that way it becomes easier. Journey per se. Okay, well, I can quickly probably... It's more like sometimes it's where people get off. That, that's, that's the crucial point and I'll explain what I mean. Okay. If I'm talking about corporate uh, leaders or so, I, I did coach one person who was in a startup himself, didn't know where it was uh, heading because apparently and this, was, this person was in the US and because, you know, venture capitalists had taken over and suddenly he felt he had no longer any control over this baby. And so what do I want to do was his big question, including family, have a family, is it a job, if so, in the job. There, I think the idea was to lend clarity on, okay, what do you want to do with what you started? Let's come to a complete understanding on that. So I think that person, let me tell you a little bit about how coaching works. So you have about 30 minute to one hour sessions that people sign up for. And this case, you know, it was like one hour session. Usually we say, okay, we need six sessions at least to get to a certain point. Uh, but it's entirely up to the person being coached because coaching as a principle works. I'm not the expert. I'm just a sounding board enabling the real expert, the client, to find his or her own solution to the challenge that's facing them or what they want to achieve. It can even be a goal sometime, right? So in this context, within the first two sessions, that person came to the conclusion that, okay, I don't want to be part of this startup. And he even came to this conclusion of, no, I want a clean break. I don't care about the money. When we started off, he was all over the place. And then he said, now let's look at what I want to do and where will I find it? Okay. So we pretty much figured out he now wanted to be a technical lead kind of a person from founder and CTO, okay, in a big brand name company. So the things that came out of this was what was important to you? He said, yes, the salary because I've got a young family to tend to and I need to live, right? And the role, the job content, and then after that, the type of companies. Then came to the conclusion that he wanted to work for a big brand name company as a technical lead and his salary range. And then I actually knew some people there, my own friends, put him in touch. Guess what? He landed a job in the most famous cell phone maker, or um, I would say handheld device company, today multi-device company. And he's happy. But I've also, as a contrast, I've coached entrepreneur in the social space. There I had to be a little bit of a mentor because see, in the Indian context, sometimes you can't really stick to that coaching principle of you are the expert because people are also looking for advice. Yeah. That is okay. As long as, you know, I remove my hat and say, okay, now I'm going to answer your question as a mentor or so having been there. 
and then we'll go back to the core team. That's alone. What I found there was the person did not have any finance system in place and was just building inventory out of passion and did not even uh, did not have formal marketing. So after about four sessions, we came to the conclusion that these are the two big things that person must address before he addressed uh, why am I feeling not fulfilled? That was the issue. Or part of the answer lay elsewhere and the person came back and saying, look, it doesn't make sense continuing with this conversation because I've got work to do on a lot of things to fix. Then we will see. Yeah, that's okay. So does it give you an idea? Yeah, so you're, you're saying more from a giving a clarity as a coach, providing really as a you know, solution, more of a clarity and being a mirror to the person and creating, being that. I like the word that you're saying, are you able to get off from here? Where do you want to get to uh, that information or input? That's a very critical thing, right? In agile space, we talk about agile coach, enterprise agile coach and so on and so forth. That has a very goal from an organization perspective because organization wants you to become so and so goal that 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 coaches are getting. So here you're talking about more of a life coach or a um, I've also heard this term of career coach. So that's a very different ball game, right? Because there's there's no real goal that is being written out except for what the person as a coachee wants to get to. Right. Oh, there the, there are many coaching niches as you said. You mentioned too. Life and career, I'm talking about leadership, that's the third one, and then multi more. From being a, a, a leader in the, in the software space and now being a coach uh, for leaders themselves, right? Do you see, the, see yourself changing from a player not being part of the playing level, so to speak? Uh, how did you come to accept that role change? Okay, that part has not been hard at all because I think communicating and empathy are two of my strengths. Having been on the other side, I understand it too well. If you ask me, do I miss the action at all when I'm talking? I would say, yeah, sometimes. However, it's not very hard for me to stick to what I have picked because it's like my job here is to help that other person and I'm very comfortable with it. I think empathy is a natural. Very nicely put. You're saying you have empathy and you have, you have a clear way to collaborate or communicate with that person. I think that forms the pillar of being a good coach. And I also want to add the third pillar of, you know, letting go uh, and not being part of the action. I think that is the harder one. You can master that. I think that everything else kind of is is easier to follow. Absolutely. And, you know, again, I'm thankful to the opportunity that Hewlett Packard provided because even after I left HP, that mode of working became my work style being disciplined, giving more importance to values and the culture part of it. Nice. Right. No, always using that coaching principle. When I talk to people, I could recognize what is a coaching situation. Now you, you have to remember in an organizational context, when you're a leader who is being measured on certain things, you have to know the difference between coaching and managing and when to use what that is the caveat. While I did practice it through my corporate career, you have to remember that. Very nicely put Arun. Let's say you have uh, 20 years from now, uh, we are in 2040. How would software look like? Any any thoughts? What, what would be your, our guiding force? Today, our guiding force seems to be data, AI, ML and right. everything, right? Right. Well, I'm not a great soothsayer, but two things come to me. And I think I'll just talk about those or I'll just restrict myself to those two things. Uh, 
I would say the problem domains would have moved on to more humane aspects of meaning to the human being. And I'm very happy if it actually happens that way. Those are the kind of, in all the domains, I'm pretty certain that's where it'll head to. And second, be prepared for bots doing a lot of stuff. <laughs> bots and adding more human, uh, human touch to everything that we do. Very well put, Arun. Right. Any uh, takeaways that you want to share for our young listeners, given the COVID times? I think the first one is you'd have heard a lot, studied a lot during your college and university days. Um, it is important to act, be aware of the needs of a organization and you know shed the romantic glasses you might have. This is a common problem that we see with people when they come to an organization. That everybody has goals and ambitions and that's perfectly fine. However, work with, develop an understanding of how the industry actually works and you, know, you, you can always achieve your dreams, make it realistic enough and probably shed those rose-colored glasses if that's what's getting in the way, getting in the way. But more importantly, I would encourage people to actually invest time in learning and approach it from building a career and not short-term. Definitely do it based on your need, but at some point of time, you need to develop that perspective of, is this the career for me? If so, how do I uh, build it? As opposed to the usual pay, what's in it for me, promotion, and just those things. And yes, um, become well-versed in the process side and uh, the design side, I would say, because technology is going to always keep changing, but your process skills and your ability to design probably change less than the, you know, technological changes. Nice. You're saying fall in love with learning part of it, learn the process and the design skill. And then rather than being romantic about what is the big picture, be more realistic. I've enjoyed this conversation so much. Thank you so much for appearing in our podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. And um, good luck to uh, everyone who listen. And uh, again, thanks for hosting me. We thank Siddharth for the music and Malavika for promoting the Software People stories. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcasts at pm-powerconsulting.com.